Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So in the the middle of March with COVID pandemic in full swing in New York City, I started to get nervous about, I was nervous about a lot of things. I was nervous about my restaurants closing. I was nervous about the health of myself and my family and, and what my kids were going to do in terms of school. And, and But I also, and, and maybe because I spend a lot of time thinking about the food system, I kind of started you know, wondering whether or not our entire food system was going to come to a halt, whether farmers would continue to grow crops, whether people, farmhands were going to get out there and pick and process food, whether or not the distribution channels to get that food into the supermarket was going to break down. What was going to happen if the entire system came to a halt? My thoughts turned towards my garden in my home. I have a small little house in North Fork on Long Island. And uh, I, I started gardening about six, seven years ago. And I started thinking, I got to get out there. I got to start planting because I may have to use this garden to survive and feed my family. In fact, I remember having this conversation with with my wife and we were talking about, all right, let's figure out what's essential in terms of, of going forward for the next couple of months. And I said, well, I got to get out in the garden. And yes, I, I, I cook from my garden. So that's also enjoyable. And I turned and I said, no, this isn't about enjoying something. This is about survival. I think we may need this food to feed our family. My privilege here is showing because I had the property and I had a garden. What if you don't? What if you are going through the same struggles and maybe you have a small little bit of land in your backyard, you've never gardened before, you've never thought about gardening before, where do you start? A lot of people started with those seed companies. People started gardening and they started turning to the soil to take back that sovereignty. So so for this episode, um, we're going to explore this one people who are new to gardening and a whole system of and, and years of not being able to farm for their communities and what they're doing to take back uh, that food sovereignty. Let's jump in. So in, during this time when people started to grow their COVID gardens, they turned to seed companies. That's where it all begins. You had these websites crash. In fact, Burpees, I think, sold more seeds in March than any month in, in their 144 year history. Food gardening is up quite a bit. People want to One local plant shop is seeing demand rise. 
Johnny's Seeds saw sales jump 270% the week after COVID was declared a national emergency in mid-March. Victory Gardens played a big role on the home front during the dark days of World War II. They're back. So we're just going to check in and uh, uh, see if people are actually um, planting more gardens and um, buying way more seeds than they need and kind of freaking out about the food supply in general. Let's hear from journalist Morgan Levy, uh, who talked to farmers and business owners in Montana about the pandemic's effect on their business. Um, so, so Morgan, who did you interview from Triple Divide Seed Co-op? I talked to Leslie Klein, who was the manager or who is the manager of Triple Divide Organic Seed Co-op. And I interviewed her at their seed storage room. So it was a pretty quiet room. There wasn't great uh, background audio to hear. Yeah, those, those seeds don't make a whole lot of noise, No, do they, they don't. But I did ask her to read the names of some of these seed packets because they are uh, sort of beautifully named and it, it sounded like poetry as she was reading them. Um, but yeah, Leslie and I had a great conversation about the uh, crazy popularity of uh, organic seeds this year. Yeah, you know, I I didn't, I didn't recognize the name, but when you told me about the crazy uh, names, and, and I now I know who you're talking about. Um, I I kind of you know started gardening a few years back, and and I kind of joke around that uh, I started reading seed catalogs like I used to look at Playboy, I guess, when I was 16 or so. <laughs> right, <laughs> just, these names like, of the varietals. Just, like, well, the names and the varietals, and. Um, you know, you realize that there's so many possibilities, and so what? 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 What did you learn? What? 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 What is going on? Because I know that you know a, a couple of uh, seed companies like Johnny's and Baker Creek, they actually had to shut down for a period of time. Yeah. So what? What did you learn? So Triple Divide is a smaller seed co-op. They're not one of the really big ones, and they are a small company, but they are growing consistently every year. However, usually most of their sales come from. Uh, racks that are in retail stores. Um, but when COVID hit, and in Montana, we really shut down at the end of March, their online sales skyrocketed. I think in March last year, they had 11 online orders. This year, they had 80. And most of them came in the last two weeks of March. And uh, it was an overwhelming amount of growth, so much so that Leslie said she had to shut down the website a couple of times. And then in mid-May, they actually shut down the website for the summer. Um, and that was because Leslie is a farmer herself. She is, you know, busy and it was, it was overwhelming. And because of COVID, she had to be doing, fulfilling most of these orders on her own. She couldn't have a lot of people in there, uh, together. Um, but it, it was such an overwhelming, um, number of sales that even they ran out of seed packets even because Okay. Across the country, uh, organic seed companies were, you know, having these explosive sales and the seed packet company was, you know, slammed. So they had to be hand labeling packets. And it was, I think, I think she was grateful for the sales, but also overwhelmed by them. And so she is, um, these are seeds for, for gardeners, not farmers. She's not doing bulk seeds for corn and soy. And they do have different amounts they sell to. I think they sell to both, but they have no way of really differenti differentiating on their, in their online sales. So she just wasn't tracking who specifically she was selling to. Um, she did tell me that I think some of the bigger companies sort of stopped selling to home gardeners and just sold to um, bigger farmers just so they could fulfill those orders. 
Right. Did did she know whether um, the the increased traffic was from recent or new gardeners? And um, uh, I'm wondering if she had a helpline for those you know, gardeners like me that that you know <laughs> I pl- I planted I planted my you know my my peppers and they're not growing and what do I do? And right. Help me. Right. And she she doesn't really have a way to check, but she does know where who where geographically people are ordering from. And these are seeds that are produced in Montana and do really well in Montana. They might do well in somewhere else in the country that has similar weather to us, but we have a really short growing season. So she would see people ordering different seed varietals at a different part of the country way late in the season and saying, oh gosh, I I hope they're not planting these now and hoping they'll grow. I did talk to a woman named uh, Genevieve Jessup Marsh, who as a community outreach director of a farm and educational center here in Missoula called Garden City Harvest. And they have four urban farms and they provide food for the soup kitchen and the food bank, but they also mm-hmm. have land uh, for community gardeners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they normally sell out of their community garden plots. And normally they have about 40 people on the wait list. This year they had 100 people on the wait list. Wow. So they were totally overwhelmed. And The big difference, though, besides that was that, you know, every year there's some abandonment rate, right? People, farms are, I mean, garden plots, any kind of growing is intensive and it's hard. It takes time. Yes, it is. People (laughs) start traveling and they're saying, I don't have time for this. Or they start growing things and they're just failing left and right and get frustrated and abandon it. And she said this year they had hardly any of their plots were abandoned that people were there all the time. It was a really safe activity. People could be outside, Mm -hmm. they could tend their garden. It probably felt really good. Um, And people, new gardeners were really really relying on people who had had plots for a long time. There was a big community knowledge share that was happening. People were talking about pests, talking about varietals and helping each other out. So I think people were, you know, community gardeners were getting help from other community garden members. I think that's really where people were sharing knowledge and, and chatting. Yeah, I mean, I, that that makes sense. You know, I, I know just from my own personal experiences, you know, when pests attack, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty sad. I'm getting used to it now. I mean, I have uh, this borerworm problem on my zucchini. And so when the zucchinis first come up, they look great and there's plenty of fruit. And then one day they just look sick and they wither and I can go right to the stalk and pick it up, crack it in half. And there's that worm sitting right in the middle of the stalk. And I can't seem to get rid of them. I don't know how to get rid of them. Um, I had a white fly problem. I had all, all kinds of problems this year. Um, the other thing that a lot of, I think first garden, like my first season was amazing. And I, I planted about you know, 18 or so five by seven boxes and it was all irrigated and it was all ready to go. And it was amazing. And someone, you know, at second, third year, it wasn't as good. And someone said, well, in the first year, the bugs really haven't, they haven't found you yet. <laughs> and, and they will. <laughs> um, They'll come. And, uh, they will. Yeah, they'll find you. <laughs> um, but um, it, it's, you're right. It is, it is tough. You know, it's, I have to spend at least two hours a day. Um, are the weeds just right now? And I, and I haven't been. Um, and so the weeds just, um, they just overcome everything and you end up, you know, and I think also people don't realize like when things serve, you know, so if you plant, I don't know, peas and you have a great spring of peas, you got to cut them down and get rid of them. Right. <laughs> just don't kind of, don't trip up and go away. away. It's right. work. It's, it's, it's a lot of hard work and labor. And then you get, you know, of course you go down the rabbit hole, hole of, of buying tools. Uh, right. It It's labor intensive and expensive and you can spend a lot of time and, 
in Montana, we have a really short growing season. I think our av average last frost right. date is mid-May. So you really have to get the timing right in order to, you, you have a small window of planting and you have a small window of growing. Um, and so it's easy to miss that. And, you know, I think in June we were having 40 right. degree nights. So you need to pull that tarp out and cover your tomato plants. And last week we had hail. <laughs> so it's easy to go wrong really quickly. And I can see it being frustrating. Um, you know, this woman, Genevieve, I spoke with, they, Garden City Harvest provides a lot of educational materials. And usually that's all done in person. But this year, they transitioned to online, but they were relying on their local community to sort of spread knowledge. Yeah, the other knowledge. thing that I think most people um, that that when they they're new to gardening, um, when when harvest time comes for a, a particular uh, crop, it, there's a lot of it. It's not like you get one or two, you know, <laughs> you know, a couple of zucchini. You got a lot of zucchini, or you get a lot of green beans, or a rat, and so you have to figure out what to do with it. You can obviously eat it, but then I find myself canning a lot. Um, and so in your experience, where, where are they giving these co-ops, were they giving lessons on canning as well and preserving uh, the harvest? Yeah. So Garden City Harvest provides a lot of materials, especially on um, preserving your food, uh, because this is what they don't want, right? So Garden City Harvest also, they have a CSA program that they have thrown a lot of money into for the past few years to try to get people to to buy these CSAs. But CSAs are tricky in that it's kind of a lot of money up front for some people. Um, and then you're not necessarily getting to pick the produce you're getting, and it can be a lot of produce. So these can be sort of overwhelming things for people, and they've never sold out of them before, except for this year. This year, they sold out of it for the first time, and it's wildly popular. They have even a wait list. And it was really just because people wanted to take control over where they were getting their food from. And they, I think in a crisis, people felt like they couldn't rely on the grocery store. So they went this way. Um, but with that, you know, there's a lot of produce. And so, you know, they're trying to provide a lot of lessons to people about how you can preserve your food so you don't just end up with a lot of wilted and rotten vegetables. How can you make this food last longer? Right, right. The yeah, I, yeah, I found the same. Not, not only was it difficult getting seeds, I had a hard time getting plants because I don't do my own starts. And there's a, an organic farm, uh, you know, a couple miles from my house where I would I purchase a lot of plants, you know, and so I I, I couldn't get, uh, you know, certain peppers that I was looking for that I know I got the last couple of years. Cucumbers, I couldn't get cucumbers. Um, I couldn't find parsley. Um, there were like certain things. It was like, like why, why is there a run on, you know, on parsley? I spoke with um, a man named Josh Slotnick, who's the owner of a farm called Clark Fork Organics. And he's also uh, a county commissioner in Missoula. And uh, Clark Fork Organics typically sells to restaurants. Um, and COVID hit really during our planting season in Missoula. Um, so... Farmers weren't having to plow under vegetables, but they were having to plan ahead and say, oh, should I should I plant as I typically would to sell to restaurants or should I change my whole operation and plan to sell directly to consumers? And what Clark Fork Organics did was they had a farm stand that they never really paid a lot of attention to. And this year they sort of doubled down on it. And one of the big sellers for them early in the season was bedding plants uh, because because people all had their their own gardens and community garden was way up and all these new gardeners and home gardeners and they were they were actually um, you know making some money off of these bedding plants which they typically wouldn't have been selling 
Um, their herbs were really popular and people were just really excited to, to have access to bedding plants. I was a first time gardener myself this year and I was really all about my tail and my eggplant and uh, the second I transplanted it outside, they died. And I was like, well, no, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. This is Citizen Chef and I'm Tom Colicchio, and we are talking about homegrown. That's right, homegrown food. Victory Gardens or COVID Gardens or Community Gardens, whatever you call them. There's been a huge resurgence in people uh, growing their own food. So this is your first year. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, why did you start uh, planting? So I started planting really because I actually have the land this year. I uh, own a house for the first time and have a yard. We had uh, one raised bed, but we built two more. Um, but then I think I spent a lot of time there because I was just spending a lot of time in my house and at my house. And it was a great way to be outside. I wasn't super concerned about relying on the garden to feed myself, but I was really upset when things failed. <laughs> really hard yeah it's it's hard to do I, I say the same thing every year too and i had help when i first started there was a restaurant that i was involved in um on the south fork of long island um and we had an acre um that we were planting in ground and so i had that farmer help me out he had a much better handle on on when to plant how much to plant but uh it's it's you know it, I, I i agree when you lose something like i have melons growing right now and you, you have to keep them on the vine as, as long as possible to ripen up. And they get to the point where you're just ready to pick them. You see the stem starting to dry out and you'll let them go another night and the bugs get to them. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, curse these bugs. It's like, yeah, it's tough. It's tough when it happens. It is. And I know a lot of people who are first time gardeners in Missoula and we're all sort of in it together a little bit. And I think it was like, oh gosh, I really overplanted my greens and now I'm drowning in greens and now I can't give them away to anyone. Yeah. So the greens, if you harvest them, right, ch just rough rough chop, blanch them in, in boiling water, shock them in cold water, put them in a Ziploc bag and freeze them, you're fine. I'd heard this and I I did do it. So we'll see. Yeah. Okay, good. But I, you know, but I, now there's still overwhelming amounts of greens. I need to do another. I actually made, uh, I made a lot of arugula pesto at one point, yeah, okay. which, you know, seems great, but now I'm going to be eating on everything for the next right. six months. <laughs> um, do you compost? I do. Well, there you go. We don't. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a total waste. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we get our compost picked up by an organization in Missoula. Um, we don't have our own compost pile because I, li oh. I live in a canyon and there are 
black bears. Uh, so you really um, want to limit uh, the amount of rotting food on your property. Yeah, I, I imagine you do. <laughs> I don't have that problem. We have we have raccoons. A lot of people that I knew who were either expanding their garden or gardening for the first time, and this happened in, in New York. It was uh, you know March April, um, and so people just really thought that the food system was going to going to completely fall apart. And and that's what they're they were just concerned they weren't gonna be able to get fresh food. And so so many people started gardening. And I think other people also started you know realizing, well, yeah, it, it didn't fail and you can get produce, but still they, they realized that this is a great opportunity to get outside, um, do something new. And you know, at the same time, I I think just the act of of digging around in the dirt. Um, it does something for your mental uh, health that just being in, in, the, in the dirt, getting your hands you know, in the soil has a way of grounding. I know it did for me when I first started. Um, my wife would always say she could tell the difference when I was out in the garden. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, um, the little edge was taken off. Um, I think it's so. about caring for something other than yourself, too, especially during a time of a lot of anxiety. You know, plants are a fun thing to, uh, at least for me, it was really it was really fun to, you know, to take care of them and try to figure out what they needed and um, take some of the the focus off myself and my own anxiety. Yeah, anxiety. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, great talking to you. Thanks, um, Tom. And uh, I'll let you get back to your garden. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. My grandfather, he, he used to, I guess he was an urban gardener where when we grew up and he used to grow in five gallon buckets and just mostly tomatoes and zucchini and some peppers and mostly summer crops. So I was interested, but I had no idea how much work it was going to take and how often crops fail. It's not a, a, a simple thing to start growing your own food. But one thing I, I got to say it does is you get a real sense of accomplishment. It's somewhat therapeutic in a way. When I get out there in the morning, especially if I have time where I'm not rushing and I have a good, you know, hour and a half, even two hours early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning before it gets hot and you're in there digging through the soil. And even if you're weeding, it, it's just a good start of the day. And you feel at the end of the day when you're harvesting and then you're cooking and putting food on the table for your family, there's a, a real sort of sense of accomplishment. And, and and I think we all need that sense of accomplishment because when you're dealing with a pandemic that you can't, you have no control over other than staying inside, wearing a mask, but you really have no control over it. Where family members I haven't seen, I haven't seen my mother since the pandemic. This is one area where you think you can you have some control over your life. You're growing your own food. I mean, when you think about that, that is that is the ultimate sense of control. You have complete control over what you're growing, what you're eating, and how you're growing it. And so when you think about the unknown, this sort of COVID unknown, can kids go back to school? Will things get back to normal? How long are we going to have to go through social distancing? All these unknowns create anxiety. And I think the one time I don't feel that anxiety is when I'm in my garden. So this is our last episode of Citizen Chef in season one. And I, I thought this would be a, a, a really good way to end uh, our, our season, a good way to really illustrate that change when people are growing uh, food and creating that change for themselves. COVID-19 changed the course of our first season. The issues we originally wanted to talk about had a new public health lens we couldn't ignore, but we're going to continue to dig up these new stories and look at them through a food lens. And uh, when we return next season, we hope to hear from more people around the country and journalists with their ears to the ground. 
I want to thank everyone for listening and tuning in. And a very special thank to our guests, producer and novice gardener, Morgan Levy. And as always, a big shout out to A Place at the Table. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartMedia. Christopher Hasiotis is our executive producer. Jesslyn Shields is our researcher. And Gabrielle Collins is our producer. We'll see you back in season two. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.